you can find us on our website www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com what was that my pa- i was trying to find you the oh. youtube video to send the link and then oh. the ad started <laughs> oh, okay there <laughs> now you okay. have the video okay so you can Woo-hoo. attach it Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 110. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay, and today we are looking for signs of hope. In her Diary of a Young Girl, Anne Frank once wrote, quote, Where there's hope, there's life. It fills us with fresh courage and makes us strong again, end quote. These days, it can sometimes feel like we're walking through chaos and darkness devoid of even a sliver of light. But this perception is not based in reality. And it's important for us to remember, there is always hope. We just have to be able to recognize it and seek it constantly in our daily lives. But first, this podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. How about you? Do you want more from The Modern Lady? Become a Patreon supporter and for just $5 a month, you will have access to extra content. Find us by going to patreon.com forward slash The Modern Lady Podcast. You can also support the show by giving us a rating and review on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your reviews, especially on iTunes, can really help others who might be interested find our podcast too. Your comments mean the world to us. To celebrate our milestone of reaching 150,000 downloads of the podcast, this week's shout out is another vintage iTunes review left by dear listener Shanti Mama who wrote to us back in January 2019 and said, quote, I found the Modern Lady podcast while searching for homemaking podcasts. I'm so glad I found Michelle and Lindsay. They are intelligent ladies with poise, grace, and faith that is inspiring. I love their etiquette tips and their What We're Loving This Week segment. They are both articulate in sharing their perspectives and religious beliefs. This podcast has given me motivation, insights, and encouragement in my motherhood, homemaking, marriage, faith, and overall humanness. I highly recommend the Modern Lady Podcast, end quote. Thank you so much, Shansi Mama, for your review left before we even started sharing our shoutouts of the week. Your early support of the show still means so much to us today. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. I want to thank listener Nadine for suggesting this tip. She asked about umbrella etiquette, and it's been raining a lot here, so this seems perfect right now. I'm going to start off with one just from the top of my head that required no research, and this one is a special message to my kids and maybe yours. Do not open umbrellas inside of the house anymore and hit each other with them, or you'll break something and possibly poke someone's eye out. I am pretty sure that the whole opening an umbrella inside brings bad luck thing came from a frustrated mom trying to get her kids out the door on a rainy morning. Okay, clearly I'm feeling a bit of umbrella rage and it turns out I'm not alone. In fact, the Etiquette School of New York has an article entitled 10 Tips to Avoid Umbrella Rage. (laughs) And here are a few of their tips. 
carry an umbrella that is appropriate to your size. So basically, if you're tiny, don't carry around a golf umbrella. Be sure to look around you before you open and close your umbrella. Be prepared to lift it higher or lower as you maneuver around people. And if you're Canadian, you might say a quiet, oh, I'll just scooch right by you there. Sorry about that. The website advancedediquette.com calls this the umbrella dance. Taller people should lift their umbrellas over shorter people and shorter people should pull it down close to their heads. And this, according to the website, will result in a well-choreographed dance of the umbrellas. Be sure you close your umbrella outside before entering a building and then place it in a suitable place. And if you can't find one, ask someone where you can store your wet umbrella. I actually just had a flashback when I went into Saks Fifth Avenue in Manhattan and they had staff there waiting to take wet umbrellas. When you are carrying your umbrella, carry it pointed downwards. Now, this might seem obvious, but I actually love carrying my umbrella horizontally under my arm. And I'm not a long umbrella with a handle. But when I do that, I kind of feel like I'm an old British man for some reason. So I don't know. I enjoy carrying it like that. So where did that superstition originate, which claims that opening an umbrella indoors will bring bad luck? Well, many suggest that it goes all the way back to ancient Egypt, when one could anger one of the gods by either turning an umbrella away from the sun god's rays, or perhaps you'd anger the goddess that protected the earth. Shade was considered hers, and it was sacred, and only the nobles could walk under umbrellas. So if they weren't used properly and by the right people, bad luck would come their way. Hmm. This has taught me so much new terminology <laughs> that I didn't realize I was lacking in my vocabulary. Umbrella rage, mm-hmm. dance of the umbrellas. Mm-hmm. There's a whole culture here that I was not aware of. <laughs> you know what? You're right because it actually talked uh-huh. about the fact that up until pretty recently, umbrellas were a status symbol. They were very expensive, really? right? And so they were elaborately carved or very personal and you'd have your name on it if it got lost. Like they were, until like the very cheap ones that we have now that inevitably blow backwards in the wind, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they were really a status symbol. And so like with any accessory, especially as we know from the Victorian age, they did come with a whole set of rules and etiquette. Hopefulness can sometimes sound like a fluffy, ambiguous platitude, but as a virtue and as a practice, hope is critical to living a life brimming with purpose. So perhaps it's time we take a more definitive look at hope and how we can be cultivating it, yes, even now. Right, Lindsay? Yes. So in my, doing my research, I came across a man named John Gardner, who I guess is known as a scholar of leadership. And he said that positive change rarely starts from blind faith or naivete, but that it also doesn't start from despair or defeatism. And I think this is true for hope as well. I mean, ideally, hope Mm -hmm. shouldn't come from a place of blind faith or naivete or from despair or defeatism. John Gardner was quoted in 1968, again, speaking on leadership. And he said, the first and last task of a leader is to keep hope alive. We need to believe in ourselves and our future, but it is not to believe that life is easy. Now, I think it's interesting that he said this in 1968, which was another period of great upheaval and societal unrest. Now, again, I know he was talking about leadership and methinks perhaps this theme of leadership might creep into many of our episodes right now. (laughs) But we want to remind you that you are in a leadership position in your home and possibly other areas of your life. So this does apply to you. But Michelle, can you first re- define hope? 
we think we know what it means, yes. but what does it really mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I We were talking earlier and I was just saying how it's kind of reminding me of the word love, right? Mm. And how we use it in so many contexts. This word hope, it can lose its meaning. Like we can use it in both contexts of, you know, in one way, I hope for the future of our world and all mankind. But then also turn around and be like, I hope we have pizza for dinner tonight. <laughs> Yes. And so what is hope? We have to define these things. Um, Precision of language is still really important Mm -hmm. um, in our culture. So um, the the Google definition of hope is a feeling of expectation um, or a desire for a certain thing to happen. And it's also a feeling of trust. And so as we were going through a lot of this research, this definition of hope has really... um, been flushed out from several different avenues I feel like right Lindsay and so Mm -hmm. (laughs) we're we're going to take a look at all of it that's like the very Coles notes version of hope as a definition a feeling of expectation a desire for certain things to happen and a feeling of trust and we're just going to go from there um one of the things that you brought up when we were discussing was that hope is different than optimism. And I didn't even realize that, Mm -hmm. you know, until you Mm -hmm. said it, right? And so that led (laughs) me down that rabbit hole. And I read an excellent article from the Catholic leader on the difference between hope and optimism. And it was written by a Dominican monk named Brother Sebastian Condon. And it starts with a debate he was having with a seminarian over WhatsApp. And he said they were furiously (laughs) texting each other back and forth. Wow. (laughs) Yep. Now, the seminarian used the word optimism and the Dominican used the word hope. Now, Brother Sebastian started with, quote, optimism is the belief that things will keep getting better and better. It is not the same thing as the infused Christian virtue of hope. And this is what started the debate. Now, Brother Sebastian goes on to say, quote, I had pointed out that optimism is the illusion that the human journey is simply progress in one enduringly improving direction. Hope, on the other hand, is the strength to endure and not give up in situations where everything is becoming more and more arduous. Now, wait a second. The seminarian then came back with everything is getting better and better insofar as everything is the will of God and a means of sanctification. Now, the Dominican friar wrote touche, right? Good points back and forth here. (laughs) Now, this distinction between hope and optimism is really important. And I'm so glad you spotted that way before I did, Michelle. Mm -hmm. I had posted a very simple yes, no question on my Instagram this morning about hope. And I was shocked to find that everyone who responded that they do not feel hopeful about their future were my non-Catholic Christian or Catholic friends. And that many of my friends who are non-religious said, yes, they do feel hopeful. So I asked that people provide me with more information about why they said either yes or no. And my religious friends wrote immediately saying that they don't feel hopeful based on the state of the country, the leaders, job situations, potential food and supply shortages, etc. But that they do hold fast to their unwavering belief that Jesus will triumph. But there you have it. They confused Mm -hmm. optimism with hope. Yes. And I was fascinated by this distinction, too, that, you know, optimism, hoping for the best, like those things are not synonymous Mm -hmm. with hope either. That optimism is more the expectation that, you know, life's going to work out. And 
it's going to work out as expected. Mm. That was like a clause that I was like, oh, yes. Okay, so optimism is like, uh, it's subjective almost, right? Yes. That optimism is more like um, desiring what you think is going to be best Mm -hmm. and then expecting it to happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas hope is a little bit more realistic. It's more of a realism type of thing. It acknowledges that things may not go according to your plan Mm -hmm. per se, but it maintains that whatever happens will ultimately be for the good. Right. And so I really liked that because I, I feel like I do have hope still. Uh, I would have answered yes to your question on Instagram <laughs> if I had seen it. There's still time <laughs> before we started I recording. I see okay. your answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, retroactively, mm-hmm. I would say yes, um, but it's because I think of that eternal perspective, mm-hmm. right? And even if you look in history too, there have been some dark times throughout mm-hmm. human history <laughs> few, right? uh, just a few yeah <laughs> just a, just a couple of <laughs> yeah dark not time. so great times yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but even in those moments uh you can see where there has been genuine and authentic hope mm-hmm. and i'll give you an example of that uh, i know i've talked before we've talked before about yad vashem mm-hmm. which is a jewish organization that after the Holocaust, asked the surviving Jews from around the world to send in testimonies of the non-Jewish people who helped them. Mm -hmm. And these people that the Jews wrote about then got the title of Righteous Among Nations. Mm -hmm. And you can read their stories. And it, it brings me to tears. I'm getting choked up even talking about it now. These were people, some of them worked as government officials. Some of them were farmers. There were whole villages that would band together and move Jewish families from house to house to avoid, you know, arousing suspicion. These were everyday people where they were in their lives who maybe couldn't see where the temporal things of the world were going, but knew that there was still good and that there was good to be had in the future and that they were going to do what they could in this moment to make sure it was procured for tomorrow. And I think that's the perspective that hope calls us to take. And I I think that that's something that no one can take from us, no matter what's going on in the world. You also introduced me to that. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I just, it blows me away too. You have to actually be intentional about something like hope. Uh, It is not just a passive thought, right? Like it's an action. There's an Mm -hmm. essay written by Kimberly Langmaid, and she defined hope as, quote, a human process of discovery and perseverance that is based in personal values, a vision of the future, and a sense of purpose. So again, that that idea that it is a process and that is an action, it is a, it, you know, it seems like it's a verb um, mm-hmm. that it, it doesn't just require faith, but you need reason too. And you need self-knowledge and mm-hmm. my favorite virtue of all perseverance. Um, you have to be intentional about seeking out hope and looking for the good. Yeah, there is a great Instagram post about that very thought um, on the account 
at Sharon says so. <laughs> I don't know if any of our <laughs> listeners, I think I've seen, you know, how where it says at the top of Instagram accounts, mm-hmm. the other people who follow them. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen some of you on there. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> at Sharon says so on Instagram, she just wrote a whole post on hope. And she talks in the beginning about how, you know, to many, hope is an emotion. To too many, hope is a synonym for optimism, like what we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And then she goes on to say that the truth is hope is a practice. Hope is a choice. Mm. Hope is cultivated. It is exercised. Hope is developed. It's not a feeling. She says, quote, the light is there if you have the courage to look. Changing the world begins with looking for the light. It begins with choosing hope. We need never be hopeless because we can never be irreparably broken, end quote. And I just thought, that is so good. It it really links to whenever we define love here on the podcast, right? Is mm-hmm. that it's not a feeling or emotion. It's an action. Love is a verb. And so is hope. And that leads me to one of my favorite aspects about choosing hope, about doing the action of creating hope, um, is that it pushes you into the position of being a problem solver. You have Ooh. to then inevitably identify what's going on and then want to try to work towards it, right? Hope isn't just then you wiping your hands of the situation either. You really then when you decide to have hope for whatever's going on, you think, okay, then how can I move forward? How can I fix this? And this is huge. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. also have to train yourself then to see a future that others might not be able to see, right? Mm. A future so different than what might be currently happening right now that it almost doesn't seem possible. You have to create that in your head. And this, I think, in this day and age is an act of rebellion. Now, Mm. St. Augustine wrote that hope isn't hope if the object is seen, right? So we do, we have to create this idea of what we want, of what we believe can happen. Mm Mm-hmm. And then work for it. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> right? Yeah. And not just sit there and being like, that would be nice. Yes. Well, yeah. speaking of working for it, I learned too mm-hmm. that for every piece of bad news that you get, um, you should share a piece of good news, first of all. So like if you read something bad, be intentional about reading something good that day. But I learned that um, psychologist Robert Baumeister estimated that for every bad thing that you read or take in, it takes four good things to overcome that Mm. one bad thing. Wow. So again, (laughs) it's like you have to then do the work to replace that bad thing, to fill the despair, right? To seek out the Mm -hmm. hope. It is, it it is absolutely um, an active process, not again, something you just can sit there and and hope that it happens to you. Because without hope, so like if we're not mindful of this, which is, I think, a really important point of this episode right is to remind ourselves that this is an actionable item mm-hmm. right that yeah. that we should be self-aware about because i was reading that you know without hope we can fall into feelings of alienation mm-hmm. uh forsakenness yeah. we can have lack of inspiration we can feel powerless or limited we can have feelings of doom or helplessness or feel like we're trapped right kind of oppressed um, and so I, I feel like some of those things can creep in without us really realizing it sometimes. Yeah. But if we are actively cultivating the virtue of hope, then I, I feel like that would be kind of like a, a safeguard to kind of keep us on the steady because there will be some times where some days are heavier than others. Maybe we don't have the time or the mental capacity to realize, oh, 
I just read a really negative headline. Yeah. Where's my where's my memes? Where's my memes? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but if it's a daily practice, then that kind of covers it keeps you steady. I have to say here the very popular St. Padre Pio quote, or as some people just know him mm. just as Padre Pio. Um, you know the quote, Michelle. Pray, oh, yeah. hope, and don't worry. And mm-hmm. I'm going to be really honest. This quote irritates me more than any other saint quote. And I love saint quotes, but it's just because I'm like, how is it that simple? I listen every yeah. time. And priests love to just drop that one on you, right? As a busy yeah. mom and spiritual direction. They're like, don't forget, pray, hope, and don't worry. And I'm like, what? I can't do that. And then mm. if you've spent any time at all looking into Padre Pio's life, <laughs> you realize <Right. laughs> his life was a thousand times harder than my life, than your life. And so if he's the one who actually came up with that, I mean, we really mm-hmm. should pause and really reflect on it. Um, so is it that simple? Pray, hope, and don't, wor- and don't worry. Well, faith says it is. And mm-hmm. so in terms of prayer, St. Thomas Aquinas said that prayer is an interpretation of hope. And I love what he means by that. I'm going to compare that for a second to another thing I'd heard a while ago about planting a garden, right? That planting a garden is a sign mm-hmm. of your belief that there will be a tomorrow, um, oh, that yeah. you'll be hopefully around to see it grow. Now, prayer to me is the same thing. It's a sign that you have hope that A, that there is a God and that he mm-hmm. hears your prayers and that through your relationship with him, your prayers will mean something, that they will be fruitful, And so Mm -hmm. I love that when you really think about all that, yeah, our prayer and pray, hope, and don't worry is an interpretation of that hope. Mm, I really love that, especially the relational aspect Mm -hmm. of hope, right? Because I was listening to a talk by Father Mike Schmitz Mm -hmm. on Ascension Presents, and he talks about this of like why we need hope. So he talks about first about faith, right? And that faith is also relational, Mm -hmm. that ultimately it's more of an act of trust than maybe just a set of beliefs or statutes. And that for the Christian, he says that trust or that trust is in God, who is all good. He's all loving. And that hope then is an extension of faith. Mm -hmm. It's an extension of the trust into the future. So, you know, one says to oneself, looking ahead, no matter what may come, this relationship is going to be what bears me up and Mm -hmm. sustains me, right? So remember the definition at the beginning Mm -hmm. where we said that hope is defined as a feeling of trust. And so I love that there is that connection and prayer is like the manifestation of, of how we actually do that. We're praying because we know that this is the relationship that grounds us now and in whatever is to come. Yes. And then the last aspect, the don't worry, right? The very simple, just don't worry. Don't worry, be happy. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's not that. It's just the don't worry. <laughs> um, but that whole thing, there's that reminder. And one of my favorite messages that I see, I mean, particularly Catholic women sharing on Instagram and this reminder of we were born for right now right? there, It's not an mm-hmm. accident that you're here right now living through the craziness that is 2021 and 2020 mm-hmm. and 2019. Um, yeah. <laughs> we were born for right now. So in, in some way, when you just accept that, you can really shake off some of that anxiety and, and try not to worry because God knew what would be going on when you were, you know, mm-hmm. at this age, living with the children that you have at their ages, all of these things. And so that gives us this incredible confidence in God's plan for us that is, again, rooted in faith 
and in a trusting relationship, then we can have that confidence to then feel that hope. And then not only that, but we can lead the way with hope. If we accept that we are here because he wanted us here at this time and that he has it all planned out for us and that ultimately it's going to be okay, then we then can take that, that unshakable joy in the midst of everything else and we can lead the way with hope. Mm-hmm. I do find both hope and you know, discouragement, they both seem to rub off really easily on the people around us. Yes. Right. So that is another reason to be self-aware of, you know, taking a temperature of how we're feeling on the hope scale Mm -hmm. um, regularly, because it it does influence um, the people who are around us, particularly at home. And you want your home to be one of these foundational places where the people who come into it can gain some of that Okay, so we've tossed around the word virtue before in other episodes and in this one already. So again, we think it's important to define what we mean because outside of Christian circles, I'm not sure if virtue is discussed all that much. So when we say virtue, it goes beyond like a general sense of holiness or likable personality traits. Um, Rather, the Catholic Church teaches that virtues are special graces given by God in order for a person to attain goals on their way to spiritual perfection. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we believe that it is our life's mission to become as Christ-like as possible. And we also then accept that it is not possible without some heavenly help (laughs) to do that. And so that's what the virtues are. They've been made available to us to help us learn and develop within ourselves these these holy habits, as we call them in my house, which is the opposite of vices, so that we can grow holier. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of the Legend of Zelda video game. I don't know if you've <laughs> I've never played, played it on my game, but Boy. I'm married to a okay. man who loved that game. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's the the this whole discourse of like it's dangerous to go alone. Here, take this, and then it gives you your like sword or your your weapons or whatever, and that's. Yes kind of like what the virtues are right it's like it's dangerous to go alone here take this it's gonna help you essentially (laughs) yes absolutely so some examples of virtues are chastity and i better stop right there and just explain right off the bat that our understanding of chastity in the secular world isn't what the church teaches we just simply mean like if you're married that you are only intimate with your spouse that you are chaste in relation to your state of life. Okay, so chastity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll move on <laughs> to generosity, temperance, kindness, meekness, humility, and diligence. Now, if you were counting along, you'd notice that I just listed seven virtues, and those seven virtues counteract the seven deadly sins or vices. Now, there is some overlap with this next set of virtues, which we call the four cardinal virtues, which are temperance, justice, fortitude, and prudence. And I'd love to point out as well that philosopher Plato also had four virtues that were called the four cardinal platonic virtues, and they are Mm. wisdom, courage, moderation, and justice. Very similar. Mm -hmm. Now, this brings us to the three theological virtues, and many people have heard of these before, and they are faith, hope, and charity. Now, charity is sometimes substituted with love, but we know that true charity is love. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really interesting to note that in ancient cultures, 
many of them did speak about the four cardinal virtues Mm -hmm. in some capacity, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But then, having said that, it wouldn't then have been until Christianity that we hear about these three theological virtues. And speaking of these ancient civilizations then and their philosophies, let's just take off our theology hats here and put on our (laughs) philosophy ones. Oh, my goodness. Right. Disclaimer. Not any of those things professionally. Um, (laughs) I think it is important, though, for us to at least be curious and look into what hope is in all these different avenues. Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, this calls to mind Aristotle's golden mean, right? I remember talking about this some at some point last year in a podcast episode, but it bears repeating for this topic. So the golden mean, as defined by Aristotle, is the desirable middle between two outcomes, and it is often applied to the virtues. So for example, courage is a virtue, but if you take it to excess, you would be reckless. Mm-hmm. And a deficiency of courage would lead to cowardice. Mm-hmm. You want to shoot for that golden mean in the middle. And so hope is no exception. We can apply hope to the golden mean as well. To one extreme of hope then, with a deficiency of hope, you risk despair. You know, and in a theological context, despair would be, you know, the belief of I don't have God. He's not there. I can't entrust myself to God because I don't believe that he'll walk with me through this. Remember, there's that relational aspect to hope and trust, right? Right. And then to the very other side of the extreme of hope with an unhealthy excess of it, you risk presumption, which is basically walking through life thinking, well, I don't really need God's help. I can do this on my own or that, well, God will forgive me anyways. So don't worry about it. I don't have to cooperate with him. And once again, that's kind of sliding the relationship aspect. I don't know of any human relationship between two people Mm -hmm. (laughs) that would operate well under presumption of the other person's intentions either. And so, yeah, the, the virtue of hope also calls us, according to Aristotle's golden mean, to really walk this line between uh, falling into despair and then kind of becoming too overinflated maybe with presumption. There's another philosopher, and he's, I believe, a modern-day philosopher named Peter Geech, who says something very similar. And he says, quote, hope is the virtue that preserves us alike from a fatuous presumption that binds us to the difficulties and dangers of the path and from despair that would make us give up, lie down, and miserably perish. You know, we've talked about languishing being the word of the day, word Mm -hmm. du jour, um, over the last couple of months. And we fear that languishing can become despair that you could level down as we are saying into despair right now. Right. And, and Mm -hmm. no one would Mm -hmm. be surprised if you were starting to dip your toe into despair right now. It it would actually, in this one article with the, with the Dominicans, and we will link to that in our show notes because it's so good. He was like, it's actually foolish to be optimistic when you actually look at the world right now. Like it's, it's, you know, Mm. to find that kind of optimism. Now we're not saying again, you don't seek out the positive and the good things, but you know, you'd have to be pretty naive to, to list all of the things going on right now and be like, it's all fine. It's fine. Again, as we reference the meme with the dog in the fire every single episode, um, yes. right? You don't want to be like that. But we're here just saying, if you happen to be moving from languishing into despair, 
that there is great reasons to hope. And just in, you know, talking between friends, we were just looking at ways that we have been able to find signs of hope in the culture right now, right? And mm-hmm. so one of the things that continuously inspires me is Gen Z. Now, Gen Z, I think we're 1996 to 2010. So my two mm-hmm. oldest kids are Gen Z. And I'm seeing incredible things happening in that generation. I am really seeing a pushback against so much of the, I would say, the toxic wokeness, because not all of that is bad, but some of just the divisive toxicness that's Mm -hmm. happened. They're really just wanting to seek out um, objective truth and traditional values, that sort of thing. And that goes along with actually a stat I just read about how uh, about two years ago, divorce in the United States hit a 50-year low. The divorce rate plummeted. Mm. Now, many of us will remember at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a massive increase in divorces. And that is true. But that only lasted, the divorce lawyer said, for about four months. And then it's drastically plummeted again. Now, there's a Mm. lot of different reasons that people are speculating about why that's happening. Um, And a lot of it are just really negative from, again, divorce lawyers who make their money off of this. But the one Mm. lawyer said, I think some people have just figured it out. They've just had Mm. to fix it. And so to me, that is a great sign of hope for the future that we are at this historically low divorce rate right now. And that Gen Z, despite what you're reading, maybe from some millennials and stuff, they're really interested in the ideas of marriage and family. And I know you and I see that a lot within our Mm -hmm. own peer group, right? We don't have all the studies for that yet because even the oldest Gen Z are just in their early 20s. Um, But it's certainly something that you and I are seeing uh, in our peer groups. Hmm. Yeah, there was an interesting article about this talking about Gen Z's ability to hold multiple, even contradictory ideas. Mm. And they're saying this is most likely because they're the first generation so completely immersed in the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that because of this, they seem to be a little bit more discerning about how they engage online. Um, they're a little bit more resistant to being swayed by popular opinions Mm -hmm. like they kind of want to make their own opinions on things and then so there there was another article on a website called the tie.ca where it says that gen zers are oh get this less optimistic about the future but increasingly believe they can shape it. Ooh. Which I thought was so interesting given what we've talked about, about Mm -hmm. optimism versus hope. And so while I don't agree with everything in this particular article, I did find that sentiment intriguing. That hope for, especially for Gen Z, even if they don't realize it, it seems to be rooted in this realism and understanding that things may not always be my way or go my way, or the way it's, quote, supposed to, but that ultimately you believe that good will prevail somehow. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, and then if you get uh, members of that generation who are also rooted in that faith Mm -hmm. and that trust in God, well, wow, Generation Z has a lot of potential to be absolute cultural dynamite here. Yes. I find that so exciting. Mm -hmm. I do too. And that really leads into this next sign of hope that you and I were talking about. It really... um, there's so many connecting points between these these two these two mm-hmm. signs of hope. Um, there has been an, uh, what they're calling a religious revival right now around the world mm. in all different denominations and churches. People are seeking out 
religion again over the last two years. But what is also interesting, and one thing that you and I want to acknowledge, is it seems like there's just an awakening in general, like a cultural, philosophical, mm. psychological, scientific awakening. Now, we'll be the first to say it seems like very few people can reach a consensus on any of those things. Right. <laughs> but what we love and what we're hopeful about is that the conversations are happening in a way that I don't recall ever happening in my lifetime. And mm -hmm. Gen Z, like you said, are handling this really, really well. They are mm -hmm. taking in all of these bits of information. They're receiving information at a rate that we never received it at. And they're they're handling it yeah. well and they're able to process it even at a very young age, even at the age of my two teenagers who are still young teenagers. I am watching mm -hmm. it firsthand and it is fascinating. So Regardless of where some of those conversations go, again, culturally, philosophically, scientifically right now, um, there is the very fact that the conversations are happening and that more and more people are seeking out information and becoming critical thinkers. I mean, to me, this is a great thing. And this gives me a lot of hope that we can continue to talk about the hard things. Mm hmm. Oh, for sure. Um, in that same article I was referencing before, it also says that Gen Z seems to be more centrist mm -hmm. in a lot of their views, probably because like what you're saying, they're receiving so much information that you really have to be if you're going to choose to receive information that fast, you have to accept that not everything is going to appeal to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Right. But yeah, like from conversations with friends, like in the faith and the cultural revival aspect of everything, mm -hmm. I really wonder, and I wonder if we see this in the younger generation, then this realization that not everything up until this point has ended up working working out well mm -hmm. <laughs> right and so we're going back and trying to seek out you know what potentially could we change then what could we rediscover that may have worked yes. at least in some capacity in the past and is there a way to bring that back because I think one of the things like even the the pandemic and all the things that have come with it have made a lot of us realize is that not all was okay. Yeah. <laughs> and we just weren't, we didn't have vehicles maybe to know how to approach it and talk about it. But now we do. And again, like you said, even though we may not always agree with one another <laughs> on the best way to approach it, the first step is being able to talk about it at all. Mm -hmm. And so you even see this with rises in like uh, the internet has been such a boon for this with, you know, the popularity of people like Jordan Peterson, mm -hmm. right? Um, people who just, they would really love to just think yes, <laughs> and think about the world in a serious matter um, because they believe that it will impact tomorrow positively, which is in its essence, hopeful then. Yes. I love that. You're right. It's the return of the great thinkers. And you were mentioning last week yeah. about debates, right? Like yeah. the, the young people are really drawn to that right now. So that is really, really a sign of hope for me. And, and I know you agree. And I think what you're saying, and I think that what Gen Z has, is doing actively right now is we are seeing the fallout from the 1960s where there was such a massive societal and cultural shift where that generation attempted to throw out everything, right? Everything mm. that came before them as archaic, just out of date, backward thinking. And in the name of progress, 
with some good intentions, but in the name of progress, mm-hmm. um, they really did obliterate everything. Now, Gen Z is, what are they, two generations removed, three generations removed from that. And so mm-hmm. they have this data set to look back and go, okay, wait a sec. They should yeah. have thrown all that out, like what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. So they're mm-hmm. able to go, but that worked and that worked. And they, they are, they're starting to pull that out. And I just think that this is fascinating. And we're here to observe that and to guide them and to answer their questions and to have these discussions with them. Yeah, I've often thought about this in terms of our gen- our generations, the our younger generations, is that they have the perspective of different generations that once again, if you're in the moment, you may not have necessarily had. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not all was well in any one era, right? We can't romanticize any one generation or any one time period in history, but there was good in each of them that has brought us to this point, Mm -hmm. you know? So maybe um, there was a time when maybe things were seemed a bit more stable, mm-hmm. right, in terms of family and politics and society and things like that. But maybe there wasn't really an, an openness yeah. to have discussions freely. Yep. And maybe in the next generation that came, that was one of the the pushbacks is that they, they wanted everything to be open yep. <laughs> and everything to be honest. And that these younger generations, our generations even too, we grew up benefiting from both of those in both of their positive aspects Mm -hmm. and so then the question becomes then then what will we do with it now like we can take the the good parts of both generations both eras and then make something beautiful moving forward so here's the thing as believers we can claim that we know the end of the story this alone is our greatest reason for hope Now, if you can't feel hope, then you can ask God to help you feel hopeful. And if you can't even do that, you can ask that God spark within you the desire to ask for his help to feel hopeful. Sometimes we have to start there, just the desire to feel hopeful. We were never promised that it was going to be easy. Why do we forget this so often? Yet it's the first thing we say to our children when they whine to us. We say, no one told you life was going to be fair or easy. Yet we forget it when we whine about these same things. Kelly Hampton, best-selling author and popular Instagrammer with the handle at ETST, often says, there is more. And gosh, just take a minute and say that again to yourself. There is more. What is so strikingly profound about these three words is the understanding that she isn't promising anything better. There is no guarantee that problems will be fixed, relationships mended, wounds healed, but there is the hope that tomorrow will be different and that possibly, just possibly, there is way more to the story that you can't even comprehend. Now, I don't know much about Kelly Hampton, so I don't know how she feels about God, but we here at the Modern Lady Podcast don't just have the hope that there is more. We take each step forward every day in the certainty that there is more. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? Well, Michelle, you know, last fall, I was all about the ambiance videos on YouTube. Oh, yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And now I'm still loving them, especially as the evenings are growing darker. 
But I have found something else on YouTube that I'm loving, and it's perfect mm. for this time of the year, and it's also perfect for those of us who can't travel. Okay, so there are lots of videos from all around the world that are essentially walking tours. Have you seen any of these yet? Mm. No, I haven't. Okay, okay. They are 4K, which means that they're extremely high definition. They're crystal clear. And you don't see the person who's doing the walking and they don't talk to you. You're just seeing everything through their eyes. And let me tell you, it feels like you're there. They aren't even mm. narrating anything. They're just walking. So we've watched them from Switzerland, the Greek islands, Tokyo, New York, and Italy. But my all-time favorite is the one that I'm going to ask you, Michelle, to link in the show mm -hmm. notes. And it's okay. a walking tour on a snowy evening in the historic village um, called Trosa in Sweden. You can hear the crunching of the snow and it's so relaxing and I swear it sucks you right in. We did a little experiment because there's one for Quebec City and we were in Quebec City a couple of years ago, right? So we watched that one just to see like, is it actually how it really feels, mm -hmm. you know, to compare it to a place you've been to? And yeah, it actually did take us right back to walking through mm -hmm. Quebec City. So yeah, it's like traveling for free and walking while sitting on your couch. So I haven't tried one yet on my treadmill. Oh, yes. I've thought about doing oh, yeah. that. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> but I'll try it and I'll let wow. you know. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. Please do. That That sounds awesome. You could have a whole new industry here. Like yeah. Virtual walking tours. Yeah. <laughs> where you're actually walking. I do love that. I'm going to check that out for sure because we love like the videos. You know, we've talked about Lee Ziki, mm -hmm. um, Yona Yinton, these mm -hmm. really immersive beauty videos I, I want to say that happen all around the world yeah so I I think yeah I think that's really interesting I'm going to definitely put that on because like you with the nights coming on earlier and earlier mm -hmm. we're definitely turning to these beautiful YouTube channels for some inspiration and hygge in the evenings and let me tell you it calms the kids down like it's the best thing to put mm. on as a family for like a half hour before bed as you light some candles and you're just kind of sitting around talking just having it on in the mm. background I find the kids just start watching it. It's incredibly compelling because you're like, what's around the corner? <laughs> like, it's, it's, <laughs> it is really sucks you in. So, yeah, I highly recommend to put it on if you just need to cozy up with the kids and have a snuggle. So what are you loving this week? So I am loving this week a podcast that I found this summer um, called the History of China podcast. Mm. I know I've mentioned this to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So the one thing I've been reflecting on a lot recently is just how little I really understand about current affairs and history, but from that truly global perspective, right? Like mm -hmm. you and I talk about that. Yep. And I've always loved learning about history and culture, but as Albert Einstein once famously said, the more I learn, the less I know. Mm -hmm. And it's so true. So this summer, I decided to intentionally seek to learn more about other cultures and really deep dive into their histories. And what better place in the world to begin than halfway across it? <laughs> <laughs> so enter the China History Podcast. I'm learning a lot. And it's actually been really cool to finally be able to understand some names and people, places and eras that I may have heard about in passing, but not really given a lot of thought to. And it's also been blowing my mind how some connections are coming up, which is my favorite thing ever in, in regards to learning is when connections start mm -hmm. coming up yeah. <laughs> with other things that you enjoy. For example, I've been very excited to uh, share this one with you, Lindsay, mm -hmm. because there is one of the upcoming episodes on the Kublai Khan. 
Do you remember mm-hmm. that name? Mm-hmm. Does that sound yep. familiar to you? Yes. yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So Kublai Khan is a character in the novel Invisible Cities by mm-hmm. Italo Calvino, a book that you lent me. Mm-hmm. And so in this book, Calvino imagines conversations between Kublai mm-hmm. Khan and Marco, Marco Polo. Polo. Yeah. <laughs> so I did not realize, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say, that Kublai Khan was a real person mm-hmm. <laughs> or that he was the grandson of Genghis Khan. Mm, I didn't know or, that. That no, makes sense. No, I know. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> it does. Know. Oh, wow. That was my mind exploding. Yeah. That's right. Oh, good. <laughs> awesome. It's the best. Yeah. Um, or, you know, or that he actually did know Marco Polo in real life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So this is just one example of how a good podcast can really get our brains going. And yeah, we just love when this happens so much. Mm-hmm. And then I also found in doing these notes for today that on their YouTube channel, they actually have other podcasts and they're all under this umbrella of Teacup Media. They have three other shows on the go right now. Um, including the Tea History Podcast, Mm. the Chinese Sayings Podcast, and the China Vintage Hour, uh, which sounds especially interesting, Uh, none of which I have listened to yet, but they've all earned a spot on my must-listen-to list. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at Lindsay Hellmaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time. Thank you.